This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along for this edition of Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino. You're listening to us on 105.9 The Region. How can a parent equip a child to be mentally fit? What tools help set that foundation and what age should this effort begin? Well, our guest today has spent much of her career researching these very questions. Questions that have become increasingly important during the mental health crisis continuing to grip many children and youth around the world. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a clinical neuroscientist and communication pathologist. Her area of research for over 30 years has focused on the mind-brain-body connection. Dr. Leaf is also a best-selling author and a mother of four. Her latest book is called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess, A Guide to Building Resilience and Managing Mental Health. Dr. Leaf joins us from Miami. Thank you for being here. It's lovely to be with you. Thanks so much. Let's start, first of all, Dr. Leaf, with having you describe what a communication pathologist does. We trained to look at how a person is um, showing up in the world. So how they're communicating, how they're functioning in every aspect of their lives, and then to trace that back to you know, where, what, what is the source of that? How is that? Where is it coming from? And then to help them to embrace, process, and reconceptualize that. So that could be, you know, it could be a, um, a language issue. It could be a relationship issue. It could be a trauma issue. We all, it could be a combination of different things. So we looked to, we looked to sort of the neurological foundation. We also look to the source, like um, context, whatever's happening in a person's life, which can affect how they function. We train to deal with trauma. We train to deal with, neurological issues like Parkinson's and dementia, ADHD, all that kind of thing. And I specialize in clinical neuroscience. I went a little deeper in that aspect and still do. I still research. When you put both of those areas and fields of study together, and then you add it to the global pandemic of youth mental health that we're currently in, what would you say concerns you the most? Is there a statistic, for example, that should give us all pause? Excellent question. And yes, what is there? There is a statistic, and the statistic that worries me the most is that we have shifted over the last two years, about two to three years. When they do global world mental health surveys, where they look at different parts of the world, generally um, adults come out worse than children. But for the last couple of years, that swapped, where children as young as two and three years of age, all the way through to adolescence and young and teenagerhood are ba- basically battling more, if not as much more than what adults are. And that's a tremendous concern. And then you look at all the numbers, there's so many different numbers, there's so many different ways of looking at it. You can look at the WHO, you can look at, and there's you know, generally the idea is that there's a problem and we all accept that. But that problem, I don't, what concerns me the most, Leanne, is that at that, the the, the numbers, the statistics, they aren't telling us the full story. They are symptomatic of a bigger story. And that bigger story represents a shift that has occurred over the last 40 years. And that shift has dealt with how we are helping our children and adults manage their minds. So the real problem is how we are allowing ourselves to be human and how we are processing and developing the mental skills to cope with what we're exposed to in a changing world. That has changed dramatically. And if you take that aspect out of 
how we function as humans. If you take the managing of the mind aspect away from humans or reduce it, you're going to land up with a an, an, and sorry, and you and you change that into a focus on the biological, kind of in a reductionistic way. You are going to land up with the epidemic that we see. So it's not like the world's facing issues for the first time. There has never been a time in man's history that we haven't faced some crisis. There's always crises. That's just the nature of humanity. So if we talk about why this increase, most of the time people will say, well, it's because of technology. Yes, that's a contributing factor, but technologies, you know, there's been advances all through time and history. So we can't blame it on an advance like technology, social media, AI. We see those kinds of things as being major causes. They're not those are external causes. They're not the cause. They're external things, I should rather say, as opposed to causes. So they're not the problem. What is the problem is how we're managing them and how we're teaching ourselves and our children how to manage the impact and what those mean for the changes in the world that we live in. And that involves processing. It involves having the mental skills to to know what to do with those emotions when someone's bullying you at school or when you've been left out of a group or you're getting all these horrible messages on social media or you are spending so much time just on um, on jumping from one social media platform to the next and TikTok and watching a lot of TV and that kind of thing without balancing that out with the reading. That creates disruptions inside the brain and the body that will make you feel anxious and depressed, will generate a sense of dis-ease that will then make a child react in certain ways. And and that isn't because they've got a brain damage or because they've got a mental illness. That's because they are the brain is being stimulated incorrectly and the mind is being stimulated incorrectly. And if that's not managed and we don't teach ourselves and our children how to recognize that, all of those cumulatively, I've just mentioned a few things. You know, how does a child deal with what's going on in the change in terms of politics? What are you doing in terms of your own life as a parent? Um, you go through changes. How are you explaining that to your children? You add all of those factors up and you're, you're putting a child in the world with all this stuff and what on earth do I do with it? Children respond to authenticity. They respond to being honest. They respond, they, they do what you do. They can read body language better than an adult. And if they don't get things explained to them, all of that, they're going to then think there's something wrong with them. They're going to immediately think, what have I done? So then I did, the identity gets challenged. So now they're trying to deal with stuff at home and all the changes in the world and no one's telling them how to manage that. You put that together, you're going to have a mind management crisis that will manifest as a mental health crisis. A challenge for a lot of parents is how to recognize what is age appropriate for their child to know and understand when it comes to emotions and explaining them. So on that note, the descriptor for your latest book called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess talks about kids aged three to 10 years old increasingly struggling from anxiety, depression, and mental health challenges. Three years old seems unfathomably young. So how can a parent know what is age appropriate and where to even start? It's overwhelming, especially with everything going on out there and, and the message we're getting. So the first thing to recognize is the reason I wrote this book is to try and help parents do this. So the, the first thing is to recognize that Children as young as two in the in through United States, Canada, unfortunately Australia, these kinds of sort of more um, very psychiatrically dominant type countries are labeling children as young as two with things like bipolar 
depression. Now, first of all, bipolar depression, it's, it's a description. It's not a thing. It's not a disease. And there's a lot of inaccurate science around that particular concept. There's also no ways that you can actually make that kind of diagnosis. So what's happening, which also relates to your first question, is there's a lot of pathologization or pathologizing of normal childhood behaviors or medicalizing of misery instead of discussing the behavior and explaining the misery. Okay, so based on that, we need to recognize, first of all, as parents that our children need to understand the world that they're in. So if a child and a child is not in, ever, in, secondly, a child is not intentionally ever trying to be difficult. Children aren't trying to be a behavior problem. They're not trying to be naughty. <laughs> They're not trying to do things to upset you. They are trying to understand the world around them. And if they don't know, they experiment and they they are they're like little scientists and they're trying to understand. And yes, they do things and hurt maybe throw toys and whatever, but it's not their, their intention is to learn, to understand, to process. That's what they're doing. So when we see our children manifesting with a pattern of behaviors and emotions and perspectives and bodily sensations, four things, when we see our children starting to show up with a pattern. Now, um, the four signals are emotions, behaviors, bodily sensations and perspective. Those are the four categories of how we show up as humans. So um, if you look at those four categories and, and, and ask yourself, what are my child's emotions, behaviors, bodily sensations and um, perspectives, how they're looking at life in a pattern? What are the patterns that are showing up? A pattern means it's become a habit, something that, that's happened more than just once and it's not being managed. It's when you see a consistent pattern that you notice your child is withdrawing more every day and you've noticed it for the last few weeks and you've noticed that their sleeping's changed and you notice they're having nightmares and any combination. So not sleeping would fall under behaviors. Nightmares would fall under behaviors. Showing anxiety would be an emotion. Um, not wanting to go to, to the park where they always used to love to go to the park would be a perspective. There's a shift in their perspective. Um, behaviors, a bodily sensation, complaining of headaches constantly or com suddenly complaining of stomach aches or especially when you're going to a certain place what i've also done is broken it down into age groups in terms of there's a table which is like what is what do you ask a three to five year old versus a five to eight year old six to eight year old versus a nine to ten year old that kind of thing but to start with pattern what's the pattern if it's just a one-off it's okay what's the pattern and before you think oh my gosh this, this is a mental illness We've got to be very careful of that biomedical model. Don't pathologize or medicalize your child. Just remember that that pattern is actually telling you something. That's the child trying to tell you through their behaviors and emotions and perspectives and bodily sensations. They are non-consciously trying to tell you something. And um, you want to then sit down with them and process that. We are talking about mental health fitness strategies for children and families. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with neuroscientist Dr. Caroline Leaf. Now you talk about pathologizing. How often are parents key contributors to their children's mental health challenges, their stresses, their strains, distress? Are there examples shown through science where this is the case? Absolutely. So 
unintentionally we affect our children. It's just one of those things. We're going to, our parents messed up, us, us up, and we're going to mess our children up. But now that sounds like such a negative statement, but it's a very realistic statement. It doesn't mean that we can't get through it because whatever's broken can be repaired. And when we, when we recognize broken and we repair, we grow. So that's just to encourage people. So um, the guilt that goes along with parenting, especially with a mom fluencer and all the, everything social media out there is, is very, very hard for parents to deal with. So it just starts with saying, this is okay to be a mess. I have made a mess. And start at that point, giving yourself just, you know, some grace and permission. Then it's okay, so let me see how I'm affecting my child. So the science does show that our stress is basically going to become the stress of our child, our anxiety, our depression. Now, all of those aren't things, they are our emotional warning signals. So being stressed is a behavior. Being anxious and depressed is an emotional warning signal. Um, the stress is a behavioral warning signal. So whatever we experience is from something. And if we don't manage it in front of our children to a certain extent, and I can explain the difference of what do you actually show your child in terms of imagine what don't you show your child because they don't need all the details, but they need enough. Whatever you're experiencing, however, is going to pass through to the child. They're going to see it. They're going to feel it. They they respect, as I said, authenticity. So the research is very, very clear on that. Children are way more insightful than what um, for years the literature's actually said. And there's almost being a dumbing down of the child. An 18-month-old, even younger, they know what's right. They, they really have a sense of what's right and wrong, even younger than that. What would I do if I had to do one thing to help with this mental health crisis? And it kind of relates to your question. And my my answer is help the parent first, educate the parent first. If you want to help your child, it's it's going to start with you. So throughout all the work that I've done with adults and children, when it comes to children, I will tell the adults, work on yourself first. You need to be honest with yourself and you need to be honest with your children. So if you come home from work or you and you or you're going through something in at work, even if you don't go to work so much, so many of us work remotely, is if something's happening and it's affecting how you are functioning in that moment, don't, and you've got young kids, don't pretend nothing's happening. It's way better for you if you come out your office or something and you're feeling really disturbed. They're going to see it on your face. They're going to see it in your body language. It's way better for you to say, um, I'm, I'm really not feeling great at the moment. Um, I don't want to snap at you, but I'm probably, I may snap at you if you scream too loud when you're playing or if you demand my attention right now. I'm just not in a place because I've got to sort out something. And whatever the age appropriate language, if you're dealing with a three-year-old, mommy's feeling not so good now. I'm going to play with you a little bit later. And um, it's, it's a, it, an, an older child, hey, I'm not feeling great now. There's something that's happened and I've got to resolve it. And this is what I'm going to do. And the key thing here is you, then acknowledging your feelings, acknowledging those four signals. I'm feeling not so great now. I It's going to make me potentially like be a bit quiet and I might be a bit snappy behavior. Um, I'm a bit worried about something perspective in this moment because I'm trying to solve it. And I kind of got a bit of a headache because of this. So I've identified for the child and I've demonstrated, I've modeled what I'm going through. Now, that's the first step. And I know one of one of the things that we were going to talk about on my five steps. So if I can blend that in here, mm-hmm. it'll make it very easy for people to understand. So the first thing you do as a parent to help your child so that this, the research shows it goes through in order to, in both ways, the research shows that the, if we are unmanaged stress, becomes the unmanaged stress of the child. Our managed stress becomes the managed stress of the child. 
So that's what the research is showing. So the work I've done is to say, okay, well, if that's the case, let me manage my stress in front of the child and or manage my anxiety or manage whatever, you know, whatever I'm going through the situation and how to make him react. And therefore I'm teaching the child. Time for a quick break. When we return, self-awareness, role modeling, and more mental health fitness tips with Dr. Caroline Leaf. Stay with us. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. We are in conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf, neuroscientist, best-selling author, and mother of four. We're talking about mental health fitness tips for families. Dr. Leaf, you've developed a scientifically proven system called the NeuroCycle to help work through these issues. What is the NeuroCycle and how does it work? Essentially, it makes the mind-brain-body connection, which are three different things. Mind is is our, sort of our energy and our ability to psychologically, mentally operate, and it drives the body. Our brain is the physical brain, and the body is the body. They're three separate things that have to work together for us to function. Every experience we have goes into the mind-brain-body connection as a as as a change. So. Every experience we have all day long as parents, children is wiring into this mind, brain, body network all the time. The more stable and the more established it becomes, the patterns that it makes or habits, those then drive how we function. So that's the basic operating principle of the neurocycle. Stuff gets in to the mind, brain, body connection, and then it influences how we function. That's that whole question of what does a communication pathologist do and in in a clinical neuroscientist we look at okay how are you showing up and where's that coming from and how can we rewire it how can we rewire the network so I've made all that complex stuff as simple as I can for people to be empowered to help yourself and to help your children because the unmanaged stress of the parent becomes the unmanaged stress of the child so essentially what what um what you the way that you you help yourself to help your child is by you applying this system which then helps to um, to rewire that driving force inside of you into something that is manageable so you you embracing processing and reconceptualizing you reconstructing so the five steps of the neurocycle do all this amazing brain science stuff as you're doing it all these changes are happening in your mind and your brain and your body and changing then how you show up by you going through the cycle i'll demonstrate one in a moment you then are giving your child through them observing you, managing your issue, you're giving them the mental skills. Once they see you do that, you're then in a position to collaborate with them and to help them say, hey, when they come home from school and and they are upset or they come back from a friend or they read something on social media or that you see this pattern reacting, you can say, hey, remember when, when mom was so sad the other day when this thing happened at work? And remember how we did that thing that I called the neurocycle and you helped me to resolve and what, you helped me to fix it? And, and, and I will demonstrate in a moment. Do you want to try doing that with this, how you feel now? And they're going to be much more inclined then to say, yes, I, I need some help. And so you can establish that that framework. Okay, so let's quickly come back to the neurocycle and then I can show you if you want, I can then give you a simple way how you can get your kids into this process. So essentially, 
We're going to gather awareness. First step is to gather awareness. And the gathering awareness is for you to to make four little sentences. I feel anxious. And I feel I feel a bit upset. Um, to give our example, my, I've got a bit of a headache. So uh, upset emotion, headache, bodily sensation, behavior. I might be a little bit quiet and I might be a little bit irritable today. So you've identified that. And my perspective, I'm feeling very upset about something. You know, I'm not so good at the moment, the way I'm looking at things. You could even use sunglasses if a child's very young and say, I've got these broken sunglasses. You could put those on. You can have little boxes with all those four different emotions. You can have pictures. You can have objects. You can just have them available in an area of your house. You can have a toy box filled with these things. I give you lots of examples in the book. And you could, if, if it's a very young child, you could literally go and pick out a picture and say, this is how I'm feeling. Or you could draw it, that kind of thing. Then you would go to the next step and you would say, this is why. The next step is to reflect. And it's, keep it very simple. If it's a three-year-old, you're just going to say, mommy's sad. And you know, just for one sentence with all those four things. Mommy's sad and got a bit of a headache. And that's because something happened when at mommy's work, when mommy was busy on the computer. Something simple like that. So you're giving a bit of a why of why you're feeling that. Who, the what, the when, the where, the why. So it could be, I'm worried because my my boss shouted at me at work or um, we're doing something very difficult that I don't know how to do and I'm very scared or something. You know, whatever, be honest. Because you want them to collaborate with you. Then the third step is to do like a mind dump, is to get out what you've experienced down onto paper. So you can either have a little chalkboard, you could paint a section of your house if you want to. My, my sister-in-law painted a wall in her kitchen with chalk paint, and that was where they would write. You can have a notebook inside that toy box with those other boxes. So you can have an area that's designated or something like that where you can write. And you pull that out and you actually... Just write pictures or words, opinion, if it's a child, or pictures, smiley face, sad face. If it's an, Even if it's a child who's not literate yet, you could still put words because you, they, you're teaching them the picture word association. So it's pre-reading skills. So it's very good for them. So it becomes you know, a whole interactive activity. In doing that, you've invited your child in to facilitate and collaborate with you, which is teaching them the art of empathy, collaboration, sharing. It's safe for mom to share with me and for me to help mom. So it must be safe for me to share with mom and mom to help me or dad or whatever, brothers, aunt, caregiver. Um, and so then you draw a few pictures. If it's a young child, maybe a few words to just describe how you feel, maybe a little phrase. Uh, there's lots of ideas of how you can do it. You can even dramatize it. You could pick up a, I have this, um, where's my brainy toy? I actually have a plush toy that we've created in a coloring book. They're not in my office at the moment. Um, and that's that, of a character called Brainy who walks your mental health journey with you. It's throughout the book. The whole book's got the cartoons of Brainy in it. Um, and we've got the toy and coloring book and everything that were great for the younger child. Even, even the adults are using this for inner child work and for older children and themselves and so on um so you write it down that brings stuff out and invites this collaboration and starts making sense of the chaos that any kind of disruptive experience can do like a, a horrible conversation at work or something which is our example we're using now um then what you do is you look at what you've written and then you, you invite the collaboration they may or may not join you but children are very very caring and very actually full of empathy and are very excited to jump in and help. They may just come up close and, and touch your face. They may actually pick up a piece of chalk and write on the wall. They may pick up a pen and start drawing, but you're inviting them 
to enable you to connect. And so you then now go into what the fourth step, which is the recheck. So this is what's happened. What can I do? I wonder what I could do. Maybe I could, you know, we could bake something together to make me feel better. And I can, and maybe your child says, and you'll be amazed at what kids come up with. When I did family therapy, I mean, years of doing, being in this field, kids will come up and you as a parent will exp have experienced this. They come up with solutions that are so simple. They may not be the most accurate solution, but they have a grain of something that you could actually go away with. So in other words, you your fourth step is you reconceptualizing. This is what's happened. What can I do about it? Then the fifth step is, okay, let's do an action. That's a great idea. Thank you for that idea. I'm going to do, I'm going to send my boss an email, but you know what? Let's go and bake something together. Or let's take the dog for a walk or whatever. So that's very simple run through of how you can use it. And there's a multiplicity of different ways that you can use the neurocycle in different scenarios, which I've created. Like for example, if you recognize trauma in your child or an identity issue or their sleep issues or whatever. But the big thing here is you use it, which then invites them. So you're working on this together. Dr. Leaf, you've put decades of research into your book, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. What was your approach to distill the science and make the book a guide for parents? I've been in the field 38 years, so that's really trained me to distill it. Probably the easiest example to kind of summarize this idea is if you think of flying a plane, the neurocycle concept is, is like that. Helping our children with their mental health is a bit like flying a plane. Not that you're going to fly a plane, but th the idea, if the plane gets prepared in the airport before plan, there's a whole plan around which plane takes off at what time, and that particular plane's got to be on the runway. That It's a lot of preparation that goes into it. So the first thing we need to do is prepare our brains and bodies and minds because they're three parts. And that's where when a child's highly anxious or you're highly anxious or something, you're not just going to dive in and do the neurocycle. You're first going to calm down. And that's the good old-fashioned breathing and I've got so many in you know, decompression, all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of help for that. I have an app as well. I'm not sure if you're familiar, if you're aware. I have an app called the Neurocycle, which is available on iTunes and Google Play and also on web. And that essentially um, has got all this stuff in like a therapy and also for parents. Okay, so you you... You prepare the plane and then you take off. When they take off, incredibly organized. Um, and you've got to know the skill. Now, if you don't take, if you don't take off, you've got all this preparation that you've done, but you don't go anywhere. And this is what a lot of people do with mental health. They do a lot of breathing and that kind of stuff, but then they don't do anything else but that so they don't move forward. It's kind of a band-aid. If you if you prepare and you get gather awareness that's great because now you've taken off but if you don't the pilot doesn't know how to fly the pilot's going to crash and what we're seeing from the research is that if we don't if we just get awareness and then we just do an action if you jump from step one to step five because step five is the action you miss out the middle you're going to crash and a lot of current therapeutic approaches to mental health are pretty good at, at, the, at the preparing the breathing stuff and pretty good at create I feel this and that but you've got to link the I feel to the other three signals you've got to see the interrelation you've got to go through the whole process so the middle part is flying so that to, to reflect to write and to recheck and then the act of reach the action at the end that's landing the plane so always think of working in a cycle many people crash because and their children crash because they just prepare or they don't prepare and they just gather awareness or they just do a technique or to some hodgepodge so that that doesn't change the mind and body connection it doesn't have sustainability and that often leads to labeling and all kinds of things your book focuses on parents of kids aged three to ten years old could you summarize the impact of not addressing these issues when kids are young on their later life when they become teens adolescents and young adults Absolutely. So the, the unmanaged stress of ourselves 
goes through into our later stages of life. So that's and that's a, the the effect of stress on on um, unmanaged stress has been very well established. I've done a lot of work and research around how this changes the mind brain body connection. So if we have an unmanaged suppressed issue that we don't deal with, so let's say something happens like a, a major trauma. Let's take a big thing like um, sexual trauma um, happens and. The, ch- the child as a child they'll develop a coping mechanism and depending on how severe how long etc the coping mechanism is that it cope it's to cope but it's not something that's sustainable if it's not dealt with that that is a whole physical thing that's built into the mind brain body connection it's part of the things that drive them that then shows up at different stages of their life in different ways that, you know they can get very depressed they can battle with relationships and show up in behavior problems they can get addicted all of those aren't diseases they are just the coping mechanisms that have got out of hand because of the undealt with issue so what we we never forget anything nothing ever goes away every experience that you've had that sexual trauma whatever it may be never goes away but what we can do which is what we're not teaching children which circles and adults circles back to your very first question is how do we manage that because if we don't it will go through to adolescence and adulthood and impact all manner of our life in different ways and whatever um and that's basically what we call mental health so that's so we what we have to do is recognize where it's going to break down. And that's what the neurocycle concept I've tried to do is to try and help people understand the, this, this recognize the things that are showing up as patterns and then deconstruct that down to where did this come from? Okay, this is not going to go away. But like with children, you can explain it like a tree. And what you're doing is the roots are the source. So the roots are the trauma, the sexual abuse, the bullying, what happened. So you've got to get there. You've got to do the work to get down this. The neurocycle helps you to get to the root. Now, you can't pull the tree out because it's happened. It's there. But you can put plant food on and you're healing the roots. Dr. Caroline Leaf, communication pathologist, clinical neuroscientist. Thank you for sharing your time and insight with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Till next time, I'm Leanne Castellino. Thanks for listening. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.